As I was preparing this week, I remembered two different stories that tie in with the passage that we read this morning. The first one was about Jack the painter. And Jack was uh, one that uh, he liked to get as much money out of a job as he could. So he would thin his paint with turpentine quite a bit. And uh, the church was looking to get their uh, church repainted. And so they uh, put out for bids. And of course, Jack got the low bid because he could paint for so much less money. And he was almost through painting the church. And all of a sudden, a loud clap of thunder occurred. Rain just poured down. And the paint on the side of the building just began to wash away. And all of a sudden, Jack realized this was judgment, that he had been found out he had sinned. He had tried to cheat the Lord. And so he just got down and said, oh God, I am so sorry. What should I do? And in the thunder, a voice spoke and said, repaint and thin no more. Okay. Well, that came, just popped into my head because that is basically what John the Baptist's message was. Not repaint, but repent and sin no more. And the thing is, is that he was calling people who were considering themselves God's chosen people. They had been waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come. And all of a sudden, John appears after 400 years of silence as far as prophets go. John appears, the last prophet, and at the same time, the one to introduce the Messiah, the one who was to prepare the way for the Lord. He was the voice literally crying in the wilderness. And he let people know that they weren't as ready for his coming as they thought they were. And the repentance that he called them to was a repentance that brought deep commitment. And you see, the Jews knew about baptism, but the only people that were baptized into the Jewish faith and that were baptized at all were Gentiles. And so whenever he called the Jewish population, the Jewish nation, to come and be baptized, he's telling them that their good works, their religion, and their heritage aren't enough to qualify them for the kingdom. That just saying that they were the Lord's people didn't make them the Lord's people. They were, there's a cowboy phrase, or it's a phrase around here. I've heard it since I've been here. All hat and no cows. They, uh, they showed uh, exter- externally they were religious. But as Jesus wound up saying later on, their hearts were far from him. 
And so the call is to repent. And that reminds me of another story. And that's the story. It's my Advent story. You probably heard this one before, but I'm going to share it again. Reverend Boudreaux was a part-time local pastor of a Baptist church, a Cajun Baptist church. And Pastor Thibodeau was the pastor of Covenant Church across the road. And they were both standing by the road, pounding a sign into the ground that read, The end is near. You'll need to turn yourselves around now before it be too late. And about that time, a car sped past them. The driver leaned out his window and yelled, You religious nuts! And from the curve, they heard the screeching of tires and a big splash. And then Brother Boudreaux turns to Brother Thibodeau and he says, Do you think that maybe the sign should just read, Bridge is out? (laughs) They were given the right message. They They were told the end is near. They were trying to warn people. But somehow the warning wasn't given in a way that could be received. And uh, that's the way it is in the church today many times, I'm afraid. Uh, the way that we word the message isn't heard. And sometimes people just don't want to hear the message. But the thing is, repentance is a word that's just about forgotten in today's Christian vocabulary. In the original text of the New Testament, the term for repentance is metanoia. And metanoia means a change of heart or mind. It means literally to do an about face. How many of you were ever in a band or ever in anything in, in the service where you marched? Let's see your hands. Okay, a lot of you know what an about face is, don't you? When you do an about face, you stick your toe behind your heel and you spin around 180 degrees and you go the other way, don't you? That's what repentance is about. You turn around, all the way around, and go the other way. And it's a message that needs to be heard today by the world as the end draws near. And it's a message today that the church needs to embrace itself. Because uh, you see, actually, repentance is the beginning of the Christian life. The Bible makes it clear that repentance is a condition of salvation. In Matthew 3, 2, which we read this morning, John the Baptist said, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And brothers and sisters, it is nearer today than it has ever been before. Times are getting exciting. And just like with those little frog poppers that we saw with the kids, we never know. He's suddenly going to appear.
He's suddenly going to be here. And I love this time of the year where we're called to stop and reflect. We do this twice a year. We do it during Advent. We do it during Lent. We pause and we take inventory. And basically we say the prayer that we find uh, the psalmist saying about search me, O God, and let me know if there be anything within me that isn't pleasing to you. Try me now and see if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you. In Mark uh, 1, 14 and 15, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached the good news. And he said, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Again, you see, repent. Again, in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus said, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. In the first Christian sermon preached on the day of Pentecost, people called the people to repentance. The apostle Paul preached to the Jews, Gentiles and Greeks. Turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our motives for repentance are actually found in the goodness of God. And his call to repentance is the same call that Thibodeau and Boudreaux were getting out, isn't it? There's danger ahead. And the Lord doesn't want us to face the danger that's ahead. He wants us to turn and face him instead. It's found in his divine love and his desire that not one sinner should be lost in the inevitable consequences of our sin and the demands of the gospel and in the hope of eternal spiritual life in heaven. True repentance leads a person to say, I have sinned and then make a 180 and change their direction. Repentance is not something we do once and then continue living how we want. Repentance requires real change. And this is the fruit worthy of repentance. And it's only whenever you bring forth fruit worthy of repentance, as John has called us to bring forth, that repentance becomes real. Repentance is not asking the Lord for forgiveness while intending to send uh, sin again. Repentance is an honest acknowledgement of sin with a commitment to change. I don't know how many times I've heard this scenario play out where somebody says, well, I received uh, Jesus as my Lord and Savior back in youth group in the 70s. But then I got involved in drugs and then, you know, there were a bunch of girls and then partying. And and then one morning I woke up and I decided I need to start getting more serious about this stuff. Well, You know, if you think that you can have Jesus as your Savior 
and keep flowing along in a worldly lifestyle, you do need to get serious about it, brothers and sisters, because you haven't been saved yet. You can't have Jesus' work of justification without his work of sanctification, which is making you holier and holier, more godly every day as you follow his leading. Biblical faith and biblical repentance can't be separated. John called the Jews to be baptized to show that they were serious. It was meant to be an outward sign of an inward and deep commitment and change of heart. Religious observations weren't what made them acceptable to God. Their lineage wasn't what made them acceptable to God. A commitment in faith to God that says, I'm going to be faithful and obedient to God and to his word, no matter what my family says, no matter what my family has even taught me, no matter what my culture says, you say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm going the way that you have for me to go. December the 28th, 1965, Coming up on 54 years ago, Sharon and I were married. We promised to be faithful to each other for the rest of our lives. And we committed officially to be husband and wife. We made vows to each other about that. Now, if three months after I made those vows, I started calling old girlfriends back in Cleveland, Texas, and trying to set up dates with them. What do you think people would have thought of my claim to be married? Would I be demonstrating the commitment that I made with my life? My actions would show that my commitment was false, wouldn't it? You see, repentance doesn't merely begin the Christian life, Just like Dan and Mindy, they stood here and made vows just day before yesterday. They made vows. That was the beginning of something. When they walked away, they didn't go back to the way things were. They're in a different chapter of their lives now. It's different. And the same way with Sharon and me when we married. We, our lives were different. I can remember standing there and my head was roaring as we were making that commitment to each other. I mean, it was one of these things, there's this voice in the back of my head saying, boy, you have really done it now. There's no easy way out of this. You, your life is changed forever. And whenever you are baptized and you commit yourself to the Lord, it's supposed to mean something. It's supposed to mean that you have committed to going his way, not your way from this point on. The word that comes to mind is a word that's not used very often. The word spurious. It means fake, uh, fake 
or faithless. It means insincere. And whenever you make a commitment that you don't intend to keep, that is a spurious commitment, you see. And so the thing is, and the thing is, this is just it. You cannot receive Jesus as Savior and not receive him as Lord. There's a, you can't separate justification being saved by grace through faith. And you can't separate that from moving on with him in a commitment that's supposed to last on not just for the rest of your life, but through all eternity. And as long as you're keeping that commitment, eternity is what is before you. Now, repentance, the call to repent is strangely absent today. The message preached is God loves you. And yes, that is true. The message is God cares for you. And yes, that's also true. The message is God has a plan for you. And that is true also. But sometimes churches get more concerned about being seeker friendly. They're more concerned about that than being biblically and and, and, and legitimately Well, let me put it this way. Biblically literate and legitimate. Let me put it that way. To proclaim the words of Jesus, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Or the words of the apostle Paul in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the real message of the gospel, of the good news that still must be preached today. It seems that some think the message of repentance should only be be preached from time to time in case somebody gets offended by the word of God and its truth. Let me remind you that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth uh, that the words that we read a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks ago, Christ sent me to preach the gospel and not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction But we who are being saved know it is the power of God. Repentance was the message of the prophets. Repentance was the message of John the Baptist. Repentance was the message when Jesus began his first ministry, when he began his ministry here on earth. Repentance was also the message with which Jesus concluded his ministry. In Luke 24, 46 through 47, he says, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all 
who repent. Repentance was the message of the apostles as they preached and later scattered through the known world. Mark 6.12 records uh, the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent from their sins and turn to God. Repentance was the message that birthed the church at Pentecost. Peter's words pierced the hearts and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And he said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance was the missionary message of the Apostle Paul. In Acts 17.30 we read, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, repentance is the message of John on Patmos to the believers in the churches of Asia. In Revelation 2, 5, we see these words, Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, see, there's that word. I will come and remove your candlestick from its place among the churches. You see, the call to repentance is not just to the unsaved, not just to the unbeliever. The call to repentance is also to the backslider and to the wanderer from the truth. Repent, turn back to God. The call to repent is woven through the tapestry of the entire Bible on almost every page. We're called to dare to be different from the world. Repentance is not meant to be a forgotten feature in your faith. Jesus commands us to repent. The word from the lips of our Lord is not offered as an option. It's a command. Real repentance is not just remorse. It's not simply being sorry for sin. It's not being sorry you got caught. Just like the kid with it gets caught, his mom comes around the corner, he's got his hand in the cookie jar. Oh, I'm sorry, I won't ever do it again. And mom says, okay, I forgive you. Now then, to know whether that was true repentance or not, after mom turns back around and she leaves, where does that little hand go? Does it go back in the cookie jar? Or does the, do the hand stay away from the cookie jar? See, that's fruit worthy of repentance. Do you see that? There's got to be, that proves, his actions prove his words. Or his actions show the spuriousness of his words. That he was just trying to get out of trouble. And sometimes that's what we do. We think if we just say the words, we'll be okay. But we've got to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. We've turned around. We've gone the other way. Repentance, not just remorse. Repentance 
is not regret or merely wishing that a deed had not happened. Pontius Pilate washed his hands in regret over his turning Christ over to the crowds. Repentance is not just resolve. It's not like the New Year's resolutions you're going to be making soon where we resolve to take on a new set of standards. Repentance is not just reform. It's not just turning over a new leaf. Some Bible scholars use Judas Iscariot as an example of reform without repentance. Judas took the 30 pieces of silver, the payment that he received from from betraying the Lord, and he flung them down the corridors of the temple. Judas reformed, but he did not repent. You see, there's a difference. I said at the start, repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change one's mind, to do an about face and head the other direction. It's a change of mind that affects a change of will and in turn brings about a change of action. It is going to affect your actions. Remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? After finding himself broke and broken in a pigsty, the son, it says, came to himself. He had a change of mind, a change of will. And then in the next verse, he said, I will rise and return to my father. The prodigal changed his mind. He changed his will. And then he changed his actions. He returned home to his father and he said, Father, I've sinned against both you and heaven. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The son repented, you see. And then his father said to the servants, quick. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The father welcomed his son home. The father did not reject his son. When we repent and turn back to God the Father, we're not rejected. We're welcomed home. And the robe we're clothed with is the righteousness of Christ. There's a movie that comes out this time of year and I always enjoy watching it. Jimmy Stewart, It's a Wonderful Life. What's the name of the character in that movie? Does anybody recall? (laughs) None of us, we all watched the movie and we can't remember his name. Well, let me tell you this. Was it George? Or was that the angel's name? Anyway, the thing is that uh, he comes to the point at the end, at the very close, close to the end of the movie, he's discovered that he wanted to live. He thought his life was so messed up that the world would be a better place without him. And then he was shown that he was needed. And then he's at the, he's there. He said, I want to be alive. I want to live again. I want to live again. 
whenever we realize that we have turned away from the Lord and all of a sudden we realize he has life for us, that becomes our cry. I want to live again. I want to live again. And God's call to us is then quit running away. Turn around. Come back this way. I'm right here waiting for you. And I love you. And I never moved. I'm here right now. The call of Advent is to come home, isn't it? To return to the Father. Let's use this season to examine our lives and make sure that we haven't done a double turnaround. Some of us, we start out, we're, we, we head out, we're going, we, we repent and we commit. And then somewhere along the way, the world gets hold of us somehow and we wind up going with the world again and walking away from our Lord. That's what this season is about. He calls us to come home. In fact, that's going to be our our hymn of invitation this morning, I do believe, is Jesus is calling. And that's what the season of Advent is about, is making sure that we are heading in the right direction. And if we have somehow gotten off track and heading in the wrong direction, there's no better time to turn back around than right now. There's no better time to start walking toward him. And then ultimately, as you start to walk toward him, do you remember what the father did? He ran and he's met, he, he met his son. He hugged him. And then they walked back to the house together. That's what the Lord wants to do with you. He wants to walk with you. And he's calling you to come home. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.